Thank you for joining us today for the podcast ministry of Unity Point Church. We're located at 124 Amerson Street in Anniston, Alabama. We hope that you'll join us very soon and be a part of our fellowship. We'd love to have you. Our three core values are Christ, community, and connections, and we try to find all three every time we come together. We believe that you're going to be both blessed and challenged by the message today, so let's dive right in. Hebrews chapter 3, that's where we're going to be going. Hebrews chapter 3. So here we go. Therefore, holy brothers and companions, in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, They will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if... We hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it really all who came out of Egypt under Moses? And who was he provoked with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And who did he swear to that they would not enter in his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your promises, and thank you for who you are. God, we pray that you will just continue to uh, open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to hear your word and to receive your word. And God, that we will be able to um, gain out of this what is important and, and uh, for us today and see how to apply it in our lives. Because, God, that's what we need. Uh, we don't need to just read something historical. We need to be able to understand what to do with it today. And so, Father, I pray that you will do that in our hearts today. Open up our eyes to see a little more of you out of this Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll give you all the praise and glory. Uh, and we pray and believe this in Jesus' name. And the church together said, Amen, 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 amen. amen. So, the author starts out by asking the readers to consider Jesus, to consider Jesus. And, and what this really means is he means to hold him up before your eyes. Um, it, it's not a request to kind of do a cursory glance 
at Jesus. I think that's a lot of what happens today. But, but rather, he is telling them, I want you, now that we've talked about all this stuff in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've talked about how that Jesus is greater than the angels. We've talked about how that Jesus is greater than the prophets. He says, so now I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to give a prolonged evaluation and consideration of who he is, what he's done, and what he is going to do. He names two things that Jesus is, which is kind of interesting. He actually makes a statement and talks about Jesus as being the apostle and then Jesus as being a high priest. And it's interesting because we don't think of Jesus as an apostle, right? We think of the apostles as the apostles. Um, I think sometimes, in fact, you know, there's people today that want to go by the, the term. They want to be called an apostle. But look, I don't get all bent up if you want to be called pastor, reverend, whatever else. My name's Nathan. Glad to meet you. Um, you know, I understand and I can appreciate the respect factor of all of it. And if you feel better calling me pastor or whatever else, then knock yourself out. Have at it. But I don't get all bent up about people that, that, that say, you know, hey, I want to be called an apostle. Why? Because apostle simply means one sent with a commission. That's all it means. Is one sent with a commission. You've been given a task to do. You've been given a message to bring, and so you're an apostle. The high priest, though, was an intermediary between mankind and God. So think about Jesus in this respect. So Jesus was sent with a commission. And the Bible talks about, says that Jesus said, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that, that through him the world could be saved. So he had a commission. He had a, a, a task to do, and that task was not to bring condemnation because he said, you, you're already condemned if you don't believe. He said, that's, that's why he could say, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to beat you over the head because the reality is either you believe or you don't believe. And he said, if you don't believe, then you're already condemned. He said, but I came to be the answer. I came to provide the means to salvation. I came to provide the way for you to come to the Father. And all you have to do is believe. And if you don't believe in me, then you're accepting what that punishment is. And that punishment is to be separated from God because there is one way and no one gets to the Father except through Him. So he says, if you reject me, then, then you're just making that, that choice. So he had that commission, but then he came and he acts as this high priest. In fact, he is described in Scripture as the great high priest. There was a separation because there were priests and there were, you know, high priests and all that, but he was the great high priest. And so he acts as this intermediary between mankind and God. And when you think about it, the Bible even talks about that after Jesus uh, was died, after he died, was raised, and, uh, you know, then went back to the, to the right hand of the Father, says he's there and he lives to ever make intercession for us. He still operates at a certain level as an intermediary, even though we can boldly go into the Holy of Holies. That's why the veil was rent when, when Jesus was still on the cross. The way was made. We no longer had to be afraid to enter into God's presence. But still, Jesus acts as our legal defense, as our attorney there, makes intercession. He intercedes for us there with the Father. And part of that would be when you think about that, that the Bible describes how the devil, you know, remember he says that the sons of God came, who's talking about the angels, they, they came and, and they were kind of given an account and, and Satan showed up with them. That's an interesting, you, all, you know, you read that and study that one a little bit. He kind of shows up and, and God's kind of going, so what have y'all been up to? How you doing? 
what's going on? They're going, well, I've been doing this. And Satan says, hey, what does he say? He says, I've been, I've been running around, you know, I'm like, a, I've been trying to find somebody. Find somebody I can just tear up, get them toe up from the flow up. That's what I've been hunting, right? He, the Bible describes him as the accuser of the brethren. I think this is what's, what's kind of interesting is that I believe that Satan often goes to God, points out the sins and the mistakes and the errors that we have in our lives even today, and he says to the Father, how can you call that one your child? Look at this that they've done wrong. And Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, living to ever make intercession for us, goes, I object. <laughs> it's like court, you know. I object. He's bringing facts that you're not already in evidence. That was for all of y'all law and order, folks. Don't, don't. Just share that one for you. I object. Facts not already in evidence. Why? Because he says those things, that, that, that record's been expunged. That record's been done away with. There's no more sin, no more condemnation because there's no more condemnation there and they're in Christ Jesus. He says that's done away with. And, and, and then Satan, if he wanted to really try to prolong this, could turn and go, wait, 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 wait. I see them. They're doing sin. And Jesus goes, yes, but I died for their sin. And they have accepted me as Lord and Savior of their life. And so their repentance is made full and complete because of what I did on the cross. It is paid for. It, the work is finished. As apostle, Jesus represented God to men. As high priest, Jesus represented men to God. Moses was the prophet of the law, but Jesus is the messenger of God's grace. John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says this, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from His fullness. as capital H, so he's talking about Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It, see, this is important in Hebrews because in the Jewish tradition, Moses was the most revered. He was the most revered. In fact, they believed him to be the greatest man that had ever lived Un until, if, you're, if you were a Jewish person, until you made that decision to cross over and accept Jesus as the Messiah. Moses was your guy. Moses was the best that had ever been. And so he's very much addressing this idea because of the conflict of people in going, wait a minute, Moses is the top guy. Moses is the top guy. And you're saying this Jesus is. And, and the writer is emphasizing the fact that, yep, Moses did great stuff. God used him in a mighty way. But he brought the law. And yes, we know that the Bible talks about the, the, how the law was a schoolmaster, right? That it was there to teach us the need for redemption, the need for a Savior. But Jesus, when He came, didn't come to bring the law. He came to fulfill the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy it, but I came to fulfill it. And He was full of grace and truth. I, I found the analogy about the house and the builder to be an interesting one, and... It would have been interesting uh, with, with Nick because Nick, you know, does a lot of, they do all kind of construction stuff and everything. And, uh, his dad, Marty, he's great friends with my dad. And, and uh, they always, when I was running Boozer, they, they always, uh, you know, did all of our building repair and shed building and all that kind of stuff, you know, big stuff over there. I, I, I found this idea about 
the house and the builder to be an interesting one because how many times have you seen an amazing house and you just spent the next, you know, however long talking about the house? And you maybe told somebody, man, we drove past this house the other day. It was this beautiful house. Man, that thing, I mean, it looked like a castle. There's one out there in Dearmaville. I don't know what them people do for a living, but, you know, I'd just be a... If I could just come be one of your servants, I'd be like the prodigal son. I'd be like, hey, it's like a castle out there, a big old piece of property and all that stuff. Like this. So you drive by these houses and you go, wow, look at that. That's an amazing house. Man, that thing is unbelievable. Now, until your wife starts going, who's going to clean that? Yeah. Right? But I, I'm guessing that if you can afford the house, maybe, you can probably afford somebody to clean the house, right? You know? But... You drive past that house and you see this big old house and you talk about it and you go, man, that thing's amazing. I bet, they, I bet they've got a tennis court. I bet they've got an in-ground swimming pool. I bet they got this. I bet they got that. And you see these basketball players and stuff. That they'll have a bowling alley, you know, in the house and all this stuff and, and neat things. And Have you ever one time stopped to think about who's the amazing dude that built that house? Who, who, was, who was the amazing crew of people that took and built that? No, we just look at the house. Even in considering, anybody know who Frank Lloyd Wright is? Anybody know who Frank Lloyd Wright is? American architect, famous, famous houses. You need to look some of his stuff up. There's people drive to go see the, the houses that remain. And, but he, was, he built he, over a thousand structures that he actually designed but people talk about Frank Lloyd Wright, and they go look at Frank Lloyd Wright houses and buildings. They don't talk about well, who built the thing. They just want, the guy designed it. Man, that's all. And it is cool, right? It's an amazing thing. Somebody designs, puts together this, this house that, that all the different things in there, that have to, it has to be able to bear a certain amount of weight if it's going to have a second story. If it's built in the north, it's got a snow load that's designed for the roof. That you've got to be able to, to account for that. So the size of lumber, the size of beams, I know that stuff from that, that, that you have to have has to account for that you can have an average amount of snow on that roof and it adds all this additional weight onto it. Somebody designs all that stuff, comes up with what the pitch needs to be, figures out how to make all the angles fit together. Y'all know, which tried to do crown molding around and stuff and we cut the we cut the, the the jig i watched them do it turn around and bought my own jig this last year and i cut the jig you know and i do this stuff at home hey it's there's people that are trying to figure out compound angles and all this stuff to see you were in school and you were you were talking about i'm never going to use this geometry and trigonometry and calculus and all this stuff and then you decided you wanted to build something on your house and you're going dear god where's my calculus teacher <laughs> I, they don't know anything about woodworking but they can help me figure all this stuff out right turn this angle like this and that angle like this and do this and oh by the way your house wasn't built square anyway so you can't just look at it and go that's probably a 90 that's 90 degrees no it's not it's like 87 and a half and you found it out when you cut something in 90 degrees and tried to put it together and going, caulk, woo, right? <laughs> it's one thing for somebody to design something. Usually the person who designs it can't build it, and usually the person who builds it can't, can't fully design it. It's skill sets and stuff. But God is both the designer and the builder of your life. Jesus is the one who, who comes along and he, the Bible describes him as both the author and the finisher of our faith. You ever thought about that? He's the author and the finisher. So he's not just a designer. 
He's the one who finishes it. He doesn't just put your life into motion, but he wants to walk through your life with you, and he wants to go all the way to the end. Scripture tells us that, right? That he's a friend. Stick close to brothers. I won't never leave you nor forsake you. Be with you all the way to the end. The question is whether or not we surrender the raw materials. Because we've got all these raw materials that, that he gave us, by the way. Right? He gave us the raw materials of our life. He gave you the talents, the abilities, the skills. And I don't care. You might not play an instrument. You might do other stuff. I'm telling you, you have skills. You have abilities. For some people, it's their ability to listen. Other folks can't listen like you do. I made a comment to my mom. We were talking yesterday. It was her birthday. And I told her, I said, you know, I said, Mom, just, I see it with some people that God has just given you a different level of empathy. You can listen to someone and, and you can connect with that person. And I, maybe I can't. Maybe other people don't have, but it's something that God specifically gives you. And I, be, I even see that God uses different ones of you, sometimes specific with a person. You don't always do great listening to somebody else, but God, for some reason, puts on you and, and gifts you in being able to interact with someone in their life. But all those raw materials that you have, you have to surrender them. You have to give them over to Jesus to be the author and the finisher. Because he's over here trying to design this thing. He, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, right? When you were knit in your mother's womb, he knew the plans he had for you. So he designed the raw materials. He put it together. He's still making stuff come into your life even now. You didn't, you didn't come out you know, with all of it. He's sending people into your life. He's sending situations into your life. He's sending learning into your life where he is preparing and giving you raw materials. And you just have to release that to him and say, God, do with me what it is that you want to do. The author then makes this comparison between Moses and Jesus and talks about them in regards to the household, right? He describes Moses as being faithful as a servant in God's household. It says he was a servant in God's household. But when he describes Jesus, he says Jesus was faithful as a son who was over God's household. Big difference, right? Big difference in, hey, I work here, and so I am, I'm faithful to do my job in this company. Whole different story when he say, I'm the owner, and I am over the company. Different level of responsibility, right? Different level of authority. And but those two go together. You're not just in charge. You're also responsible. At the end of the day, that'll say, the buck stops here, there you go. He said, Moses, hey, Moses was faithful, and he was faithful as a servant in God's household, but Jesus was faithful as a son who was over it. In John chapter 8, we see... Um, Jesus is having a conversation. Remember, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, you're going to remember this as soon as I tell you this. The scribes and the Pharisees had caught a woman in adultery. Right? They bring her to where Jesus is because Jesus has all these people. He has all these Jewish people around him, and they're, they're having a conversation. They, the scribes and the Pharisees bring this woman in there. Buddy, they're ready to stone her. Hey, the law says this, you know, all this stuff. And Jesus does the whole thing where he's, you know, he's squatted down, and he's writing something on the ground in the sand, and... And he just says, hey, you know, he among you that's without sin, cast the first stone. And you start hearing the sound of stones hitting the ground because they all realize I'm not without sin. And everybody around here knows I'm not without sin. And so they're walking off, and Jesus looks up and sees the woman standing there and says, hey, where did all your accusers 
go. Those were, and and she says, well, there's none left here. And he says, well, I'm not here to accuse you either, but go your way and don't sin anymore. Stop. Change your lifestyle. Change your lifestyle. Well, the conversation goes on, and, and Jesus starts talking about that people can be free. And these folks are going, whoa, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. We don't need to be set free. We're Abraham's children. We've been set free. We, we're not in bondage. And Jesus makes this powerful statement about, he says, the, the servant or the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. They come in and work, and then they go out, right? They don't remain in the house forever, but the son is in the house forever. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. See, there's, you'll find these connections throughout Scripture where Jesus was trying to teach these thoughts, and even you jump over into Hebrews, and it's somebody else who's writing inspired by God, and he's making this point about that Moses was the servant in the house. He can't set you free. But Jesus is the Son, and the Son, when He sets you free, you are free indeed. Moses was faithful, but his position was one of servant... And that's regardless of the miracles that God had worked. If Jesus is the Son, then He's the rightful heir of everything. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 16 says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption. The forgiveness of sins in Him, Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. See, if you're the son, think about the prodigal son. Think about that whole story, right? Remember what the father says to the son who stayed? What are you telling him about all the possessions, all the stuff that was still there? He told him, he said, hey, all of this is yours. All that I have is yours. It wasn't even a question. It wasn't, well, you know what? I'm going to decide to rewrite my will, and you're not going to be in it. The, their culture was such that, hey, it, there would have been some, you know, some, some division, right, because you had the younger son and the elder son. So the elder son would have always gotten the greater portion to begin with. But the father, because the, the younger son says, hey, I wish you to go ahead and give me. I wish you were dead, was in essence what he said, right? I, I wish you were dead so that I could already have my inheritance. And the father says, you know what? I'm going to liquidate some stuff and go ahead and give you what would be your portion based on right now. Gives it to him. He goes and wastes the whole thing. Now the, the older son, who is the primary inheritor anyway, is all upset, and the father says, Hey, don't you realize everything I have is yours? See, being the son meant that everything, even though the father still is alive and has everything, you, you, you have authority because it's coming to you. It wasn't coming to one of the servants. Moses was not going to inherit. That's why it's so powerful when you see in Scripture that he says that we have been made joint heirs with Jesus Christ because we were like Moses. We were just servants. But when we could be made joint heirs with Jesus Christ, then we receive the inheritance just as Jesus received the inheritance. That's powerful. 
That's like just walking out here on the street and finding somebody who, you know, you strike up a conversation with them and they literally are telling you, I hate you, I don't like you, I don't want anything to do with you, get away from me, because that's how we were when we were in sin, right? I don't want anything to do with Jesus, I don't want anything to do with God, I don't want anything to do with your roles and all that stuff, I don't, I don't want to give up what I'm doing. I don't care that you say that Jesus died for my sins. I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff. I want to do what I want to do. That's what we're doing. It's like you're going out here, finding somebody on the street, striking up a conversation, telling them, hey, I would like to let you inherit everything that I have. I want you to be joint heirs with my children. And then go, I want nothing to do with you. Get away from me. Don't tell me that I need to come and live in your house or that I need to live a morally upright life. And see it. No, I, I don't care a bit about any of that. I'd rather die and go to hell than to do any of that stuff. And yet you're still going ahead and saying, hey, I'm going to keep after you because I intend to make you my heir. Shepherd has the hundred sheep. He leaves the ninety and nine to go get the one that wanders off. It was you. That was me. Right? We're over here, you know, bleep, bleep. That wasn't a good sheep, you know. That was, that was like reading the word. Bleep, bleep. You know, that was bad. It really was. You know, I was just trying to pull the wool over y'all's eyes with that, that imitation. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, just count that one as... No, okay, don't. Count, count and sheep. For some, okay, all right. <laughs> so this is powerful to think about Jesus as the son. He's clarifying that, clarifying that Moses was not. But then for us to come to the realization, then God wants to make us sons and daughters, just like Jesus. And so the author goes on then to provide a little clarity on who is it that makes up the household of God. And he says it is those who hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. Now, uh, th there's, there's a shift here, and it's, it's important for you to, to get this. Because it doesn't really matter. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 don't, I don't get as hung up about what your particular belief is about Salvation, and I'm not here to go into the whole thing about whether you believe you have it and lose it or you never had it or whatever else. I'm just going to give you what Scripture says right here in Hebrews. He goes on to tie this into the idea of their forefathers, right? He, he, he quotes Scripture, right? So when you see, and maybe your Bible, if it does it a certain way, it'll, it'll go over and uh, mine kicks it over and shows that it's a quote. And it's a reference to some other scripture. And, and he goes into this thing about saying, hey, do you remember that your forefathers, when they were in the desert for 40 years, they saw miracles. They saw that I did these powerful things, and yet they still went astray in their hearts. Can you imagine you're seeing miracles if today, if today we could have somebody come up and, and, and they had, and I'm not talking about some of this fake junk that you see sometimes, there's real stuff that happens, though. Um, but I, I'm talking about if, we, if somebody walked up here today and we literally, you know, could, could pray for them and, and they didn't, they had an arm gone or something and it just like grew. Y'all all be freaked out. Let's just go ahead and be honest. Y'all be, and, and, and you'd be like some of these people here, like you'd be trying to, 
I don't even know. I think you'd be so shocked that it'd take you a bit to think of it. You'd be like, can you do that again? Because I need to get my phone out, right? Can, is there another one? Is there somebody else? You know, can we do that? Because I want to video that because that's going on YouTube, you know, or something like that. They had seen miracles, though. They had seen Moses, right, come up to the to the Red Sea, hold up a staff, do the whole deal, and the, and the waters part, and they walk across on dry ground. You can't tell me. I don't care what you see on movies and everything else. If we could go down to some massive river, Dr. Wayne go over there and grab a stick and hold a stick up, and all of a sudden... And the water's all come to two sides and the ground's dry in the middle and we go, all right, let's go. You can't tell me that you wouldn't be like, <laughs> Jonah's like, who? <laughs> you know, what? <laughs> I mean, it just would be. They had seen all this kind of stuff and they still were wandering away from God. They were murmuring, they were complaining. Remember at one point they were like, we should have just stayed in bondage. We should have just stayed as slaves. We had better food anyway. That's what they said. So what happens though is they end up not entering the promised land. Right? God ended up telling them, so hey, you know what? Because of your unbelief, you're murmuring, you're complaining, you're griping, you're whining. So I want you to know that when you do this with your children, you're being biblical. I want to give you, I want to give you that biblical parenting advice. When you look at them and go, we were going to go to McDonald's, but we're not now. Because you've been whining and crying, you shall not enter into the McDonald's. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just telling you straight up. All the young people in here is going, man, what are you talking about, you know? Yeah. So we, when y'all hear it on the, you know, when it, so you go back, you play it for him if you have to. Play it on the podcast later this week. Go and look, so you say, Pastor, Pastor, he, I, I believe that was an anointed word. <laughs> Pastor said, you gripe and whine and complain and all that stuff. We can do just like God did because God did it to the Israelites. I told him, said, you shall not pass. <laughs> that was my one movie reference for some of y'all. So the author tells us, he says, hey, there's two things, though, that need, to, that need to happen so that you don't end up like them, that you don't end up in this attitude and this mentality where you are um, you're not listening to God and you test and you try God. Because that's what, that's what that quote there, uh, that previous scripture, and he says, you tested and tried God to the point that God said, you're not going to enter there's a promised land. And in fact, made them wander around until that generation died. He just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to let y'all live your life. And, and remember, the whole time, he, he let their clothes not wear out. He let their shoes not wear out. He still kept blessing them, even though they was whining, crying, complaining. And he had to take something away from them. But he still provided blessing. He still provided for their needs. He just said, you know what? But you whined and griped your way out of the greater blessing. Boy, now that's, that one will that make you stop and think, won't it? That God might have some things that he's wanting to do in your life. And you can whine and gripe and complain your way right out of it. And him say, hey, you know what? I'm going to still provide for you and all that. But this greater thing that I want to do, you've just, you've just taught your way right out of that. That's the hardest thing to do as a parent, isn't it? 
you're wanting your kid to go to camp or you're wanting them to go do this or whatever, and you've told them you've got to do these things, you've got to get this grade, or you've got to, to uh, you know, d- d- get these tasks done or whatever, and then they don't do it. And you know, I mean, you stop and you think, oh, man, I didn't want to not let them go. I don't want to be because they're never going to forget this, <laughs> right? And then you end up finally making that decision saying, hey, you know, personal integrity. I told them you have to do these things. They didn't make them. T- it's not like they tried and, and they just couldn't get there, right? It's they didn't make the effort. They was lazy doing all that stuff. But it's still hard as a parent that you got to say, hey, you know what? You're not going to get to go. Because you know you're going to deal with the, with the devil living up in your house for about the next week, right? <laughs> you know, you know it's going to be the struggle because they, they just, they, they moping. But you know what? We're that way sometimes, too. You know, God doesn't do something exactly the way we want it done. He doesn't do it as fast as what we want, whatever. And so spiritually, we start moping. We don't really want to talk to God. We don't really want to have joy in God. We just, when we do talk to God, God, it's so terrible. God, I just, I just, I feel so bad. God's going, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you joy. My, my, my mercy's new every morning. You know, grace, joy is your strength. Oh, but God. That's funny, right? We, it's not funny. Because <laughs> sometimes we act exactly the way that spiritually with God that our, we acted like when we were kids. It's <laughs> probably why he describes us as his children. I, right. I feel some of that. So what does it look like when the author then tells us that there's two actions that we need to take? The, the first action that the author talks about is that we need to watch out. We need to take care. And, and that means to see. You'll, you'll see this in the notes on the app. To, to be vigilant, to be on the lookout for, be careful to have the power of sight, to perceive, to be aware of, to pay attention to. Well, he's telling us, hey, you've got to understand that your forefathers before you, they didn't get this. They didn't understand this, and so they had issues. And, and I'm telling you that you have to watch out. You have to take care. This is one of the key things that you've got to do in order to not find yourself doing what your forefathers did. You saw that history of what God wanted to do with them and you don't have to go down that path of making that mistake. So you need to watch out. So that's the first action that he tells us that we need to do. The second action is he says we need to encourage, right? We need to encourage one another. And, and, but there's a, there's a reason that he talks about this encouragement. First, when he was talking about the watching out, um, he gives us a reason why, and then in the encouraging, which means to exhort or to implore, to earnestly support or encourage a response or an action, to request, to appeal to, to invite. But, but what were they to watch out for? It was the encroachment of an evil and unbelieving heart. Catch, catch what he said there. He said, watch out, brothers, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Okay, what, what does that really mean? 
And, and what does that look like? Now, there, there are uh, two words that I put into your notes. Uh, gave, you the, gave you the original language uh, there where you can see it, and then you can see kind of an explanation of how to, how to pronounce it. The, the first one is that idea of an evil heart, ponieros, which means um, to be morally bad or wrong. Pick, pick up on that. He says, I need you to watch out so that there won't be in any of you a morally bad or wrong heart that would depart from the living God. He also says, so that you would not have an unbelieving heart. And that word actually means a, a, a trait of not trusting in and relying on someone or something. Lack of confidence, doubt, to discredit. So he says, I, I, you have to watch out so there won't be in any of you a morally bad heart or a heart that, that has as its trait that it doesn't trust in and rely on someone or something. It has a lack of confidence, has doubt and discredit. And that is all aimed at, he says, that would lead you to depart from the living God. Much of what I see today in our world it's chock full of these two issues. We've become morally rotten, brought on by a lack of trusting, relying on God as our source and our provider. A lack of trusting Him as the establisher of moral standards. And ironically, we would rather trust in other men and women like ourselves to establish the standards for acceptability even, even while we know we know what's in our hearts, Right? I mean, look, I, I'll be honest. I, I will be as transparent as possible with you. I know that if I'm faced with a situation and I was just relying on my personal standards uh, w without having God involved, right, that I would probably do what is most beneficial for me. If God wasn't involved, if God didn't play a part in that, if he wasn't shaping how I thought or what I was doing, and this was just about me, then it would just be about me. But we are, we have folks who are, that's what they're willing to trust in, is people like themselves who we know are susceptible to our whims and, and, and to our emotions. The author also gives us that second action to take, which was to encourage when you look at that, encourage, he says, but encourage each other daily while it is still called a day so that none of you, here's the reason why, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. This idea of encouraging or exhorting carried a sense of earnest pleading. It's full of emotion. It's full of caring. It's backed by a heart that loves the person who's the object of this encouragement. And, and it understands the tremendous danger that exists if one gets hardened by sin. I, I, I was thinking through this because, you know, I, I don't play guitar as much as what I should. You know, I don't get as much time that I, you know, to practice. If I did, I'd have even more calluses on my fingers, on my left hand, than what I do, right? But... I have already identified that even with the amount that I do play, that at times I have problems interacting with touchscreens. 
to you know phone and stuff like that because the callus that's on there actually does not react well with a touchscreen environment. And so I found I have to kind of like you know like that right there. I have to flatten my fingers out to get where it's not that tough spot. And and I've even recognized that when when I'm touching something with those calluses like you know that touchscreen that sometimes I don't. I don't feel it as much, right? That, that's the nature of calluses. It, when you get that callus on your finger, it desensitizes you to what you're touching. That's what helps you with playing guitar then. You can sit there and press on those strings, and, and that callus helps protect against the pain of pushing against that all the time. But see, that's also the danger of getting calloused is that when we get hardened like that, then we're not sensitive anymore. We're not sensitive anymore. The, the things that, that used to, when we would touch them, when we'd come in contact with them, that we don't, we don't feel as much. Yeah, it makes me think about uh, older generations, right? Older generations that if you haven't done work with, say, a, a sledgehammer or a pickaxe very much, you or I go to using that and you spend all day doing it and you're not used to, you know what happened? You'll end up, you'll end up with blisters on your hand. You'll end up with bleeding, stuff like that. These folks that did this day in, day out, let's say their job centered around that, and they were doing that all the time, man, they would just have these calluses on their hands. They could pick up, you and I would be over here going, hey, I got to have some gloves. And they would be just like, whatever, <laughs> right? They would be picking this thing up, and they could work all day without the gloves because they had gotten their hands calloused. In fact, even to the point that I've seen people that uh, maybe they've done a job where they're holding a certain tool, or they're holding like that. They're holding a, a pickaxe or a shovel or something all the time. Their hands have even kind of formed to the shape. They can, they can pick something up. And, and it's like it just molds to, you know, to their hands. And actually, that's not the case at all. It's that their hands have molded to it. But they get desensitized because that's the nature of calluses. It makes you where you don't feel. You can endure friction more and not be affected by it. The hard heart will resist the gentle attempts by God to draw that person to himself. And I, I, I say the gentle attempts because, you know, I've heard it most of my life in, in church, how that God is a gentleman, that God, you know, God doesn't like, he's not like the SWAT team kicking the door down going, I am the God squad. But, you know, the Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears and opens up, then he'll come in. You know, God's a, a gentleman like that and, but we can get desensitized to that. We can get to where that we don't respond to that. That hard heart will resist the gentle attempts by God to draw that person to himself. The hardened heart literally, literally, will be insensitive to things that once would have moved them. Those little subtle spiritual hints that would have one time led them onto that right path of life. That's, that's when the, you start realizing if you stop and you think and you're honest with yourself and you go, you know what, uh, I'm not moved by things like I used to be. I'll give you a, a great example. I, you know, as a kid, because uh, 
You know, I grew up in that time before internet. <laughs> yeah, before internet, we didn't know what a pager was, all that. And so, missionary would come to your church, and a missionary would would uh, you know? Because back then, you weren't uh, you weren't seeing stuff because because not having the internet, you weren't seeing stuff uh, from other countries that often, and and uh, you weren't you weren't seeing National Geographic because your parents wouldn't let you see that because that has some stuff in it you didn't need to see, right? <laughs> And so, you know, the guy's like, ch -ch -ch. you know, that's, that's the slide projector, y'all. He's, he's got the slides, and, ch -ch -ch. and he's showing a picture up on, and he's showing you people that don't have things. They don't have clothing. They don't have nice houses. They don't have any of that kind of stuff like we're accustomed to here. And, and as a kid, that was all new, and it was, it was something you weren't seeing. You maybe saw stuff at school. You know, your church didn't, didn't very often have a slide projector. And so you're seeing this stuff at at church with, with this missions conference and this missionary that's coming. And he would show you these pictures and you would feel, you, your heart would just break over it. Man, I need to be a part. Even as a kid, you know, as an adult, whatever, you were, you were moved. It was, you were sensitive to it. And so you were like, man, I have to be a part of doing something. I need to give. I need to be a... And two, three weeks later, you weren't praying for that country anymore. And you weren't praying for that missionary, any of that stuff, because... In the moment, you were sensitive to it, but over time, see, as you begin to get hardened to things, you close off that sensitivity, and so no longer are you um, affected by whatever that was that you once were sensitive to. That's, that's what can happen to us spiritually. Spiritually, we get to that point where some things used to move us. I was actually, I was um, yesterday with with our company. I was um, I was involved in a in a situation where we had we were doing something for a, 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 a past associate, and as we were coming out of as we were coming out of that that home, it was it was kind of funny because the. The associate that I was there with, he actually said, um, he was like, guys, I, something's wrong with my eyes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what's, what's wrong? And he said, yeah, something's wrong with my eyes. He said, my, but they're leaking. <laughs> they're leaking. You know, he was just moved. And, but then he, he made a comment and he said, uh, he said, you know, actually, I do have a condition. I have a situation that, that I take some medication for that my eyes uh, water. They, they water a lot. And so I, he said, but, but right now they're just looking for, you know, something else. And in that moment, you know, I was sympathetic to the, to the reality of that he actually did have something going on that he takes some medication for. But he was talking about something. Then. He was emotionally moved in that, in that moment. And but spiritually, what popped into my head was, you know, sometimes there are things that we're taking into ourselves that make us, to try to help us not have that, that response, not have that leaky eye spiritually, right? That makes us where that we try to not have that condition anymore. He made a comment off, and he said, "Yeah, he said, yeah, but it, he said it doesn't work great. The medication doesn't work great." He said, "But, but at least now when a Disney 
commercial comes on, I don't cry anymore. And, and I thought to myself, you know, the spiritual thing popped back in my head again. And I thought, man, what is it that comes up that we used to be moved about? And now we're kind of glad that, hey, I, that doesn't affect me anymore. I'm not moved by that. I'm not affected by that. The author's concern, you know, about a life that gets hardened by sin and sin's deception is that the person will not hold firmly until the end and thus they don't become companions of the Messiah. Quite literally, it, it's not enough to start engaging with spiritual things to start reading your Bible, to start being emotionally moved during a worship service. No, it's all about holding firm and endearing to the end. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22 says, And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endears to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 12 through 13 says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. I found the last reference in verse 15 to be very impactful. It, it made me pause and it made me think. Because in verse 15, he makes that same reference that had been made uh, earlier. And remember, you know, these, these spots, I don't know how your Bible shows it, but uh, mine, you can see the references to, uh, to other Scripture. And he says... In verse 15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Did you notice you pick up on something? This is something you and I do. He doesn't say don't let your hearts get hardened. He says do not harden your hearts. We have the choice, right? We have the choice of, of peeling back the hardness, the hard shell, the roughness that occurs that makes us where that we are not ready anymore to respond to what God is doing. He says, don't harden your hearts if you hear his voice. And so my question then to myself was, what does it look like to hear his voice? And I want to close by giving you a couple of ways that I see that this occurs. A couple of ways. Number one, you hear his voice through the word of God that you read. You hear his voice through the word of God that you read. In looking at the word, you'll see something that it speaks either directly to your situation or maybe to a principle um, that applies to how you approach the situation. But it, it very realistically sets a, a pattern for you, whether it's through direct mention and there's a lot of stuff nowadays, right, that, that, that would not be direct mentioned in the Bible. Technology has changed, all that stuff over time. But yet you're able to see a principle that applies to how you approach that. So the Word of God that you read. The second one is the Word of God that you hear. The Word of God that you hear. It may be preached or it may be taught. And the third way is the Holy Spirit convicting your heart, which is... It's almost always in light of one of the other two, right? Because it's hard for the Holy Spirit to convict your heart about something that you don't know. It's hard for the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about something you haven't read or something that you haven't heard. 
You know, it can lead you to have a sense that maybe something's not exactly right, but it's really, really powerful when it brings to your remembrance, I remember someone saying this, preaching this, teaching this. I remember reading something somewhere in Scripture that talked about this. That's when it really, really gets powerful. And this exhortation that is here in in verse 15 is that when you hear God's voice directing you to a decision or to a lifestyle change, to a specific choice, to, to walk a certain path, to separate from certain people or places, take a difficult action, whatever it is, he says, don't harden your heart. Don't become insensitive. Because when you're doing that, you're rebelling and you're, you don't want to do what God's leading you toward. And, and understand this. This is not always about the negative item. And, and what I mean with a negative item is it's not always about God speaking to you about something sinful, say, that you're straying toward. Because a, a lot of times you may be sitting and thinking about some stuff in your life and going, hey, this is not, God's not trying to speak to me about that I'm doing stuff sinfully or anything like that. So, so this is not about me listening to God because I'm not trying to do something sinful, right? This includes God directing you to follow Him in ministry or maybe in committing your time or in making Him you know, an unshakable priority every Sunday in engaging instead of just partaking. That, that was powerful, you know, and not just being a consumer, but being a participant, right? In speaking to that person that you really don't want to talk to or in making time by personally sacrificing something that's good, but it's not great. And that list just goes on and on and on. This is something that, it was so powerful when I was reading this this week. This is what, what hit me out of this. Our refusal to allow God to guide our every step is still rebellion. He said, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What, what, what is that? See, when God is telling us to do something, when God is trying to lead us in a path, when God is trying to help us see the direction we should go, when he's trying to get us back to his word to understand how we should respond to this situation, and we push it away, it's because that we're being rebellious. We don't like to hear that, but it's because we're being rebellious. There's only two options. When we hear God's word, there's only two options. It is either that we receive it and we do it or we hear it and we reject it and we push back against it. We're rebelling against it. We're rebelling against what God is trying to do or trying to get us to do. And that's hard because we don't like to think of ourselves as being in rebellion, but that's what he says is when you hear his voice, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The only way that we eventually stop the discomfort of rebellion is to harden our hearts so that we're not sensitive to his voice any longer. 
See, so over a period of time, that's why you just, when you keep working with that pickaxe or you keep working with that sledgehammer, the only way that you get past all that is to, to get the callus. The callus is developed. And so you, you keep fighting against this thing that's causing this problem until you become desensitized to it. And when we are in rebellion against God, there is this natural thing that's occurring in our hearts. We, it's uncomfortable because we know it's not right. We know this is not what God intended. But we have to get desensitized to it. And the only way that we do that is we harden our hearts so that they're no longer affected. And then when he speaks, we can ignore it. We don't hear it. Not down deep in our hearts. We may hear it with our ears, but we don't respond. We're not even, we're not even convicted by it anymore. But today, we want to rip the calluses away off of our hearts. We want to, we want to peel it back. We want to lay it bare. Take all the hardness, all the calluses, remove them, tear them off, get them completely removed so that even the slightest breath of the Holy Spirit the smallest move by him that we sense it. I, you know, I, I, I've got friends that have horses and that are big into that. And but even when you, if you just watch a show where maybe they're they're um, letting you see when they're training some of these horses or anything, it, this isn't like the cowboy days, right? Where the guys are running out, yeah, you know, he's he's whacking that that horse trying to get it to go and on no no no. we're talking about these horses that are so highly trained that that rider's sitting there and they're upright and you got to watch their hands because their hands are holding the reins and it's just like it's just this slight movement off to the side and the and the horse sends, you know feels that and is and is waiting for that and responds to it and whoop goes that direction and then they go over here and and it they just move that hand a little bit, and those reins just went. And that horse responds and goes because it is sensitive to the smallest moves of the rider and what they're wanting to do. And so they'll go, and they'll respond to that. And that's how I want my heart to be. I want my heart to be where the, the slightest breath of the Holy Spirit, the slightest word from God, and I... I respond and I move that direction and, it, and I move the other direction and I go. The smallest movement that I'm so sensitive to what God is trying to do. I'm so sensitive to what, how God is leading that, that He can make the smallest movement and I'm ready to respond. That is where I want my heart. That's where I want your heart. That we're so sensitive to what God is trying to do in this church, in this place, in your family, in your marriage, in your job, in everything that you're doing, that every day, every moment, the slightest movement, the slightest inclination from the Holy Spirit, and you're prepared and you're ready and you're responding and you move that direction. Today, you hear His voice. And you don't harden your heart, but in fact, you soften it.
and make it more sensitive so that we can respond joyfully in the path wherein God is leading us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for softening our hearts and preparing us to follow hard after you.